Hi, and welcome to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics, a podcast aimed at helping you excel during your clinical clerkship in pediatrics. I am Dr. Shakun Gupta, and I'm an Associate Professor of Pediatrics at University of Virginia. Today, we will be reviewing what you need to know to examine your pediatric patients. Examining children is a bit of an art form and is often unfamiliar to clerkship students who may have a varied degree of experience being around children, may never have worked with children, and may not have been exposed to pediatric patients in the preclinical years. Don't worry. These nerves are normal, and even though children can't necessarily cooperate with the exam, you can still do it. I'm going to give you my best tips and tricks to get the exam you need on your pediatric patients with as little crying as possible. And one hint here, it is not always possible that you can examine a child thoroughly without any degree of distress or discomfort for the child. However, if that exam is going to affect your plan and management, it is very important for the care of the child that you do a good and detailed job. Since pediatric patients range in age from newborns to young adults, your exam techniques will have to vary quite a bit. Also, depending on whether you are seeing a well-child visit or a focused complaint, you may be doing the full exam or a more focused physical exam, for example, on the knee for knee pain. I am not going to cover special exam maneuvers in detail in this episode. Let's start with newborns and young infants. Remove all of the clothing, including hats and socks and diapers, and make sure you're looking at the entire baby undressed. This can clue you into alertness and their general appearance, any abnormal or normal skin findings, breathing changes, range of motion of extremities, and overall tone of the muscles. You can also observe many developmental milestones by simply carefully observing the baby with their parent and what they do. For example, do they turn to noise when you enter the room? Do they smile? Do they make sounds or words? Do they reach out? And so forth. Even though you look at everything from top of head to tips of toes, you may not be able to examine in that order. So get comfortable with being flexible and moving around to different body parts. Do as much of the exam as you can in the parent or caregiver's arms. This is where babies and really young children of all ages are most comfortable. You may have a parent hold the baby and then listen to their heart and lungs while they're on their shoulder or even while they rock them or feed them. For checking red reflexes, wait until the end of your exam or at the very beginning when a baby is calm and turn off the room lights. The babies will naturally open their eyes and position yourself so you are ready with your ophthalmoscope to look. I much prefer this than trying to pry the eyes open with my fingers. You can use a pacifier or let a baby suck on a clean gloved finger if a parent okays it or a parent's clean finger if they're crying. When you need to check the rest of the exam, including abdomen, GU, and in a non-walking child, the hip exam, which you should always do, you will need to lay them on their back on the exam table or bed. They may cry, so ask the parent to come over and talk to them and be near their face for comfort. You can reassure the parent that nothing you are doing hurts their child, but that in general, babies and young children don't like being held in place by strange hands and that you will be done very soon. You can also talk the parent through the exam that you are doing so that they feel reassured by saying things like, her heart sounds so healthy and her belly feels so normal and soft. Parents are often as nervous as you are, and this can really help them partner with you during the visit to help soothe their child. As we move into the toddler and preschool child range, I recommend continuing to have the child sit in their parent's lap or at least next to their parent for as much of the exam as possible. Even if a child is comfortable on the exam table, let them sit up for as much of the exam as you can before you have them lay down. It is helpful to not jump right in and get close to the child, but rather walk into the room, 
sit a little bit away from the child and calmly talk to the parent first. I always say hello to the child, but I focus most of my attention and gaze toward the parent for quite a while. Often, as I'm speaking to the parent for a few minutes, the child will start to feel at ease, come out from behind their parent's back or wherever they're hiding as they realize I am not as scary as I first seemed. Then as you move from history taking to physical exam, try to sit on a low chair or stool so that you are not hovering over the child as you examine them. As you move closer to the child, always talk to the child as well as the parents. Try to notice something cool about them, light up shoes, a character on a t-shirt or a toy that they brought with them, or ask them their favorite anything like color, book, friend, etc. This gets children to open up, and once they're chatting with you, you can be doing your exam without much attention to what you're actually doing, but they're listening to you instead. To distract and calm them, consider telling them a story throughout the exam, or try to make the physical exam like a game, like playing with the instruments, showing them how they work, how you have a light, etc. Finally, consider having something fun in your pocket, such as a sticker or a fun pen to make the experience more enjoyable to distract them. Start with a heart and lung exam while the child is most cooperative and calm. Save the worst parts of the exam for last. For example, the mouth exam or the ear exam. But if a child is already crying, take the opportunity to look at their teeth and in their mouth. If you want them to take a deep breath for your lung exam, Ask them to pretend to blow out the birthday candles and hold your finger up like a candle flame. Other tips if your patient is particularly nervous are, you can examine the parent first. For example, look in mom's mouth or listen to the mom's heart before the child to demonstrate that it won't hurt. You can also listen, let them listen to your heart before you listen to theirs. You can listen to their arm or leg with your stethoscope a few times before you put it on their chest or stomach to demonstrate again that it's not painful. If you are not sure if a child has true abdominal tenderness or is just very scared, you can tell them that you are listening to their belly and use the stethoscope to push down on their abdomen as you watch their face for grimacing. Or you can have them put their hands under yours on their belly as you push down. Also, always try to warm up your stethoscope with your hands before touching the child of any age. Ear exams can cause particular anxiety for medical students, so let's talk about this a bit more. It is all about the holding. The actual ear exam is quick, but is worth taking the time to get the child and you in a comfortable yet firm hold before you try to look. This will make it worthwhile. One example is to have the child in the parent's lap facing you or away from you. The parent wraps their arm around both of the child's arms. If a child is kicking, you can tuck the legs around the parent's body or in between the parent's legs, depending on which way they're facing. You then hold the child's head against the parent's chest or neck as you look, and this also helps you stabilize the child. You should always watch a child walk in the exam room, even if there are no complaints about this. Children will not naturally want to walk toward you, so I recommend having the parent move to the other side of the room and call out to their child while they hold out their arms. You can watch the gate from behind as the child walks away from you. If there are complaints, have the child walk or even run longer distances in the hallway with the same technique. For school-age children, you can generally plan to do your exam head-to-toe on the exam table, and that is how you should present your exam in your oral presentation. I will give you some tips on oral presentations in a minute. Now back to examining school-age children. Since they are much more cooperative, the exam is pretty much what you have standardly learned in medical school, sitting down as much as possible until they lay down. 
I still always try to engage them first in a little chat about something that they are into or like to do or might be wearing, carrying, looking at, so that we develop some rapport. You could simply ask, so Johnny, what do you like to do after school or on the weekends? And then you can say, oh, wow, I've never done that before. Tell me about it. Or, oh, I used to do that too when I was a kid. Pediatrics is a great rotation to remember and use your own childhood memories to relate to children. I also tell school-age children every part of the exam and what I will be doing before I do it. For example, open your mouth and say, ah, I'm going to use a light to see your throat. Even school-age children get very nervous at the doctor's office, though they may not appear so. So this helps everyone know what to expect in the room, and it is also teaching them about their body as you go. For preteens and older, the exam may not be the hardest part of your visit in terms of cooperation, but rather engaging the patient is very important. I always address them directly by name and speak to them as I enter the room, even before I introduce myself to the parent. Try again to find something about them that you can relate on. Sometimes they may be on a phone or other device when you come in, and it can be tempting to jump in and speak to the parent present who is often more chatty. Politely ask the teen to put away their phone and tell them that you want them to feel really involved in their health and you want to answer any questions that they have about their body or their health. This helps set the stage immediately for the parent so that they don't feel ignored. At this stage, you will probably speak to them alone at some point in the visit and the HEADS exam is covered in our adolescent episode, so check it out. But even with the parent, keep in mind the child is your patient and giving them eye contact, using their name, having them answer questions about themselves first always really helps them feel confident and engaged. They tend to open up once they know that you are really their doctor. If you are discussing something that the child doesn't know or can't answer, then turn to the parent and explicitly say that you are going to get their parent's opinion also. One particular part of the physical exam I want to address is the external genital exam. This may not be something you as a medical student want to do in any child over the infant toddler stage without a chaperone present, and that is completely acceptable. In babies and toddlers, I often do the general exam to note normal or abnormal findings and in boys, the presence of descended bilateral testes just after I do the abdominal exam. I do tell the parents why I'm looking in that area. I also check their bottom for any rashes, sacral anomalies, or asymmetric creases. As young as toddlerhood, I start talking about that area as private and explain that to me, that means it's something we don't show in public and something that no one looks at except in a doctor's office or if a parent is present with your permission. That might not be exactly what the parent is teaching them at home, but it is modeling early that the discussion of consent and body autonomy can happen, which I think is very important. I continue to say a developmentally appropriate version of this every single time I do a general exam from then on. I do not use other words for genitalia besides the correct anatomic terms, even if a parent does so in the room. Again, that may not be exactly the parent's preference, but it is mine, so you find what feels comfortable to you. As kids get older, you need to perform the genital exam again to look for anatomic abnormalities, dermatologic changes or lesions, sexual maturity rating, which is also known as tanner staging, noting hernias or testicular abnormalities in males. If you acknowledge to kids that yes, it is uncomfortable and they are allowed to feel nervous, but why you need to check from head to toe, they are usually okay with it and understand. Now some tips on presenting your physical exam. Start with vitals. 
You can give the numbers, but better to interpret them rather than simply report them. An example of that would be saying, temperature is 101.6 versus our patient is febrile today with a temperature of 100.6. Remember, in pediatrics, growth is like another vital sign. We care a lot about growth and development of our patients. So we want to hear their growth parameters and also your interpretation of those parameters. Again, an example of this is saying, Sally is at the 59th percentile for weight and 75th percentile for height versus Sally is growing very steadily along her weight and height percentiles with stable weight and height parameters and a normal BMI. Another tip is to always start with a general appearance. This could be something like well-appearing, well-nourished, ill-appearing, tired, toxic, sick, well-hydrated, smiling, crying, or any combination of the above. It is a great way to give everyone listening some context to frame the remainder of the physical exam and assessment. Some people like to present general appearance and then vitals and growth parameters. Others present vitals and growth parameters and then general appearance. Then, even if you did not do the exam in a head-to-toe fashion, you do want to present it head-to-toe. If you just did a focused exam, then you want to give the vitals and general appearance and go to the parts that you examined. Thanks for listening to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics. I hope you found today's podcast helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe below and rate our podcast.